0: Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And back by popular demand, drumroll here, we have Reverend Carol Lynn. Talk about a loving warm caring generous soul who was on previously she was on episode 69 so anyways a little bit about reverend carol lynn is an ordained minister a commissioned healer and a certified medium she is a member of the greater boston church of spiritualism she is also an award holder with the Spiritual, Nas- the Spiritual National Union of Great Britain in public speaking and mediumship demonstration. Rev. Carol has been serving spiritualist churches since 1994. In addition, she is featured on the prestigious website bestpsychicmediums.com and has been interviewed by ABC World News and the Boston Globe. She's the author of five spiritual books, including the newest, which is called, Are You Psychic or Making It Up? So I'm absolutely thrilled to have another extraordinary conversation, which I know it will be, with Carol Lynn. Welcome to We Don't Die Radio.
1: Thank you so much, and I've been so excited about talking with you today. Me too. You are our first
0: guest who's coming on a second time. That's a big deal.
1: Whoa. Whoa. Well, I'll mm-hmm. try not to be too intimidated.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think
0: you so will be. But what I do want to provide is something new, something different. Um, and as if this is your first time listening to We Don't Die Radio, myself and the guests, we're out to prove that our lives go on past what we think of as death of the body. And then not only that, but as if we don't die who are we now and what are our lives for? So our goal really is to empower you to have a great life today, know that your loved ones are doing great in the hereafter and that your life is for a purpose. So that being said, Carol, where do we start from here? How about a little bit about
1: you? Well, I was always psychic when I was a child, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really see a lot of purpose in just doing what they called ESP in those days. Right. Because reading people's minds, I didn't at that time see a purpose for that. But when I started seeing those in spirit and I was in my 40s, this had a purpose for me. Right. I had started channeling before I started seeing spirit very many times. And it was through my channeling that more spirits started to come through and I was told that this is what I was going to be doing in my work. And it was quite a shock to me because at the moment I was quite happy being a voice teacher, Mm -hmm. a guitarist, and I also had a company called Quality Performance Coaching and I was running around the country doing presentation skills seminars for pretty big companies and I loved that.
0: Right. That's pretty mainstream. What do you mean that you started channeling, though? Like, what do you mean by that? Well,
1: I I do and don't like the word channeling. I use it because I don't have a better word. Okay. But one day I walked into a bookstore and I just noticed a book on channeling called Open to Channel. Okay. And it caught my eye. It's like it almost jumped off the shelf at me, maybe because it was pink. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I bought it, and I read it, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. I had no idea what I was getting into. And so I followed the instructions, and I would go into a deeper state of consciousness and listen. And what proceeded to happen to me over the next years was, was just short of amazing this just totally opened me up because I had all kinds of visions, all kinds of revelations, and I didn't know what to think of it. And being the sort of responsible kind of person I am, maybe overly responsible sometimes, mm-hmm. I hired a woman who was a well-known channel and also a therapist to meet with me every two weeks so I could tell her what was going on. I was I was aware of the fact that I was doing something different and that somebody should know about it. Maybe not tell me how to do with it or sit with me every time I did it. Uh, My whole story about that is in my book called Cosmic Connection. If listeners are interested in in the journey that I went on with my channeling, and a lot of the transcriptions are in that book. And, um, And one of the things that I went through at that time was when I started channeling, I decided to stop reading all channeled books by other people and all spiritual books, because I didn't want my channeling to simply be me regurgitating from my subconscious what I'd just been reading. Okay. So for 15 years, I was very strict about not reading certain kinds of books, and I feel good about that, because I know that I wasn't, you know, just repeating what other people had brought through. And now, I'm in a different point in that process of channeling, so I can read all those books now, so I'm wildly catching up, and um, I'm finding that a lot of the things that have come through to me have come through to other people, too.
0: Very interesting. I don't often talk, or I don't think I ever have, about channeling, really. I have a friend of mine, uh, Roberta Grimes. You may or may not know her. She's the author of many books, and she's just a tributes, the books coming because she's channeling them. They come out pretty fast and they're pretty, pretty great. And it's like,
1: what? Well, huh? The first, the first time, I mean if you think about channeling mm-hmm. um, things do come through very fast and it feels like it's coming from another part of yourself or from something outside yourself that your soul is connected to. Okay. Now if you want to think about that Probably most of the religions in the world have started with someone having some kind of what they were calling a revelation or a prophecy. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that channeling is that much different. Okay. One of the things about channeling that's different from evidential mediumship is that you can't really prove channeling in the same way that you can prove you're in touch with a spirit when you're an evidential medium. So what happened to me with the channeling is that I started to have experiences of seeing people who had passed on, and I decided to investigate my mediumship prompted by the channeling. Mm-hmm. And then I decided that I really needed if it was within my my spiritual gifts, become an evidential medium. Because if I could prove to myself that I could connect with spirit by having clients understand what I was saying, then I would know that there really was a spirit world out there. I would know that there really was an afterlife and that there is an afterlife. And I could take my channeling seriously also, even though I couldn't prove it. You yes. Follow I, do, I do follow, yeah. You so don't... I did it for myself. Okay. And then I found evidential mediumship to be so helpful to people that I actually um, gave up my quality performance coaching. It was a real, I remember a day I was in New York City in a woman's office, and she was, a, I won't use her name, but she was a very high level profile person in the financial business. And I was coaching her on her, her image and her presentation and all of these things. And at the same time, I had started studying mediumship. And I think I'd even been to the Arthur Finley College in England a few times already. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't telling anybody this. And so this prestigious woman was telling me about all of the people she could introduce me to. And as I sat there, you know, for referring me, and mm-hmm. as I sat there my eyes kind of wandered in a different direction. It was like I went into a different space, and I probably wasn't even hearing what she said, and I had this kind of transcendent moment where I realized, you know, that I had to make a choice. I either had to develop my mediumship and give up this business, or I had to stop developing my mediumship and take advantage of these incredible connections that were being put before me Mm -hmm. and I just knew I had to be a medium so I stopped marketing. I finished the jobs that I had on my schedule and the business slowly died. Wow, how long ago was that? (laughs) That was um, probably in the late 90s, early 2000s.
0: Wow, so you've been doing evidential mediumship for a long time.
1: Well, I've really been doing it. I started working on the platform in spiritualist churches by 1996. I, was a st- I started as a student in 1994 and was doing student services and, you know, what I would consider practice readings. And uh, the mediumship came to me fairly quickly. Sometimes it comes quickly to people, other people. It, it could take them 20 years, and some people it never comes to who really struggle with it, and I can't tell you why.
0: Right. Can you describe what plat- a
1: platform reading is? A platform reading is, um, well, if anybody's watched John Edwards on television, we would call that a gallery or a platform reading. In spiritualism, in a church setting, we call it you know a platform demonstration. Mm-hmm. And what it means is that you're up in front of a group of people as opposed to doing a private reading, and you um, get up in front of the group and you bring messages to a small number of people in that group from their loved ones. And you know, Sandra, I can remember when I first started doing that. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I was saying, Carol, you've got to be nuts. You're standing up in front of people and you're going to bring them messages from their loved ones who have passed on. You know, to me, that was such an incredible risk.
0: It's a huge risk. Oh, it's just... And we all have this ego inside of us that's screaming, you're nuts, or you're making this up, or, you know, nobody's going to, this isn't going to resonate with anybody. Oh,
1: my, the ego is just something to deal with as one develops mediumship. Because that ego is there, and the ego wants to compete with the other mediums the ego wants to be right um and this is this is kind of a problem in our field to be honest because there are some mediums who seem to be able to travel this journey and for whatever reasons they conquer their ego yeah to, to the as best they can and there are others that don't and the ones that don't are the mediums who get really, really upset when people doesn't, don't understand their message or they don't think they can be wrong. And I think that's a big problem in our field. Mm. That makes but, sense. But, you know, it takes, it takes a tremendous amount of work and maturity to get to a point of selflessness. And I can't tell you that I'm there yet, but I'm working on it. Yeah, you're a human <laughs> I, being. I think it's really important. Yeah, sure it is.
0: Sure it is, because I would imagine that your own thoughts and imagination come in, even though you're trying to maybe not listen, and what do? You, how do you know what's actual... Maybe you can walk us through what it would look like uh, listening to an evidential medium. Can you do that, whether it's a platform or one-on-one? Um, well,
1: I think it's easier to describe... Um, a one-on-one okay let's do would you do that because there's things
0: i know i've been to mediums and i've left disappointed thinking okay there was a couple of things that sounded pretty close but there's a lot of things that just sounded like they were grabbing at straws and then there's been times like reverend rita berkowitz who's in our area quincy massachusetts she drew a portrait of my dad what he looked like when he was in the Air Force in his younger days and knew so many specifics that it was just there's no question he was right there you know so what are we Well, here's the for? here's the
1: situation okay. with an evidential reading and I think this will be helpful to listeners. When a medium is communicating with spirit we know the medium knows how much information She gets, but we don't know how much was sent that the medium didn't get. Hmm. For a moment, Sandra, and I say this to some of my clients, picture for a moment that I'm the medium Mm -hmm. and that there is a, a loved one in spirit who wants to communicate through me to my clients. Okay. And let's just use an image. I'm making up this image, a pink ball of energy is being hurled towards me and is enveloping me. And in this ball of energy is all the information about that communicating loved one and the messages for my client. Are you with me? Yep, I'm with you. How do we know what percentage gets through to me? 1%? 5%? 20%? 80%? Right. We don't know because this is not a phone call. Uh, That's correct. So this, for me, explains, and this is, this is how I've come to think of it, because sometimes what will come through to me are the most relevant, most important things that that client wants to hear from that loved one in spirit, and sometimes many things will come through that are true, but not the two that the client wanted to hear the most, and I don't know why.
0: Gotcha. So it might not have come through from them, or you might just not have picked up on it. Is that what you mean? In that pink Either ball way, of energy? We, yeah. we
1: don't know. We don't know. I call myself the I don't know medium, mm-hmm. because there are a lot of people who make these great statements about how this happens, and I don't know how they know, because all I can tell you is, is that it happens. Enough information has come through from communicating spirits to clients over the years, that I just know there's a spirit world now. I've experienced it so much. I don't have to believe in it. I don't have to be convinced anymore. I love that. (laughs) But I can't can't tell you how it happens. Right. I can ask different spirits how it happens, but I don't always get the same answers. Yeah. Any more than if I asked a lot of people who are uh, still living in the body.
0: Right. I think you said that actually on, on our other show, just like there's so many experiences that human beings have and nobody could explain life the same way. So no one can explain the afterlife the same way. There's, you know, right. different so, stories for so, so many people.
1: Sometimes, sometimes, you know, listeners should know that if you've lost a loved one and you want to get a reading, it you may have to have three readings before you really find the right medium for you, and get everything that you want. And sometimes it may be longer than that, hmm. and that's unfortunate. But the, it's, it's better for a person getting a reading not to write the script of the reading before they have it.
2: Okay.
1: It's the biggest mistake is to say, if my uncle comes through, I'll only know it's him if he shows me he was a musician. Right and that he's playing a guitar. Well, that may be the one thing that doesn't come through, but that doesn't make all the other things that came through, like how he died, what he looked like, that he was your uncle, a few names in the family. That doesn't make all of the other information useless. But clients want to feel some control. They want to feel that, you know, this is only going to be true if this particular thing comes through. And then, if they start communicating that to the medium, and the medium starts getting the idea that this client is not going to be happy at all unless a particular thing comes through, now we have a tense medium. Yeah. (laughs) And a tense medium does not work nearly as well as a relaxed Mm. medium. So, I would encourage those of you listening who get readings, do everything you can do to help the medium, because you're... Trying to get the medium to get a particular thing is not going to make it happen. In fact, there's less, I think there's less chance of it happening. Now, some mediums may disagree with me, but, you know, this has been my experience. Yeah. The more relaxed I am, the more likely that what the client really wants the most will come through. hmm
0: Can you give us just some examples, and it can be from long ago or or recently, just some of the interactions you've had with clients, maybe a couple of stories that they're just, I don't want to say so mind-blowing, but it's just another example of, of course, there's life after death and our spirits survive. Yeah, of course. You know, any of those times, because I'm sure you have them, that um, you're just astonished.
1: one One of the readings that I have such incredible memories of, is the reading, and and I'm I'm telling confidential stories here, but I'm not telling any names. Mm -hmm. But I was talking with a woman on the phone who had lost a child. And at one point, I noticed that I had my right arm up in the air. I pay very attention, you know, I pay attention to my body language when I'm doing a reading. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, why do I have my right hand up in the air, and so I said to the client, you know, I've got my right hand up in the air, and I feel as if your child is, is reaching out their own, what would be a spiritual hand to you, and the woman on the other end of the phone said to me, I have my hand up in the air. Wow! So she was reaching out, and I couldn't see her, so I didn't know she was doing that. Hmm. So that, for me, was such a moment because it showed me that this, this mother and child were reaching out their hands to each other. Mm-hmm. And it was really very beautiful. That was a beautiful moment. Of course. Then I had another um, reading that was special for me. Because of the strangeness of the evidence, this was actually a demonstration. This wasn't a private reading. I was up in front. Oh, this is so frightening for me. I was up in front of oh, a no. group. and it, it was a large group that day. Okay. We are at a hotel, and I think we had close to 600 people, and there were quite a few mediums in this demonstration. Okay, And I got up. And I said, you know, I'm afraid to say this, but I have a snake here. <laughs> All right. And um, this snake has died, and I feel the snake's owner is here, and what this snake is trying to get across to me, and I felt like such a nut saying this, Sandra, because... I didn't know how an animal could get that across to me anyway, mm-hmm. but I just went with what was coming to me. Mm-hmm. So I said, what this snake is trying to get across to me is that the snake had really problems with light, seeing light. And so you, whoever snake this is used to put a cardboard box over the head of the snake sometimes to shield the snake from the light. And somebody raised their hand, and it was all true. They had had a fat snake, and the whole story was true. Oh, my. That blew my mind. That was was a mind-blowing one. And another piece of evidence that came through once, this was a private reading. I was on the phone with a woman whose husband had passed on, and there was a problem with the porch separating from the house. Okay. It was... And... The, the husband in spirit was coming through to talk about how he was seeing that happen. He was concerned about it. And the woman on the other end of the phone said to me, yes, that's absolutely true. And I have someone coming to take a look at that soon.
0: That's great.
1: <laughs> so that's was like an odd piece of evidence. And it's those odd things like that that I think have convinced me the most.
0: Yeah, I would think they'd have to because any of the vague things like your mother's here, she loves you, you know, she's to well, cook you the most be, delicious dinners are too generic.
1: Some, well, what listeners have to understand is, yes, that's just too generic. To me, somebody who says, I've got your mother here, and she says and doesn't give any evidence, to me, this is not a reading, but some people would disagree with me, mm-hmm. but I I am more in favor of what I call evidential mediumship, where we prove right. that we're with the person. And let's say we have a mother there who passed from some kind of fluid condition in her lungs, and she was a very pretty woman who loved shoes, and she had three children, and okay, so... All of the evidence I've given the client is not particularly earth-shaking. None of those things are particularly distinct, like the porch separating from the house. Right. But if you're my client and if your mother has passed on and all those three things are true of her, plus five others that are given to you, it's the way that all of those things are true of the same person who the medium thinks is your mother. Do you follow me? I do. So, the, so sometimes information can be quite generic, you know, because we all look a certain way, we all die of something, but if, if a medium gets seven to ten, ten things that are true of your loved one, you probably can't think of any other loved one that all of those things would have been true of. Right. We'd all like to have a reading where those special things come in like the porch separating from the house or, you know, the the child raising, raising the hand to the mother. But my teacher, Brenda Lawrence, who, who has taught at the Arthur Finley College for years and years, used to call those special pieces of information cameos. Uh-huh. And what she taught me is she said, you know, those are the things that are the most convincing, but you won't get them every reading. Right. So... There's a lot I want to
0: ask you. But what no, but what's coming up first though is I don't want this to be a pitch for everybody needs to go see a medium. I don't want that cuz I I personally think it's a great thing, but it, you don't have to do that.
2: Oh, no, are
0: have to. Yeah, are our spirit friends around that we can communicate with them. And part of this question is I know beyond having a medium reading there's something called Intuitive Guidance, and I know the title of your book is Are You Psychic or Making It Up? I think, and you're going to share this, I'm sure, that there's many of us who feel like we've had some abilities, and can we on our own connect with our loved ones, and maybe we can get into that conversation about our own psychic abilities, our intuition, or intuitive guidance, what that, that whole world is about.
1: Okay, let's start with communicating with your own loved ones. Okay. Because that's a whole different ball game than having psychic experiences and seeing other spirits and knowing what people are thinking. Connect I think I don't think you have to be a psychic or a medium to experience the presence of your own loved ones. That's good news. Their soul is part of your soul. You're part of them. You have a history. The challenge in communicating with your own loved ones is that you are most likely to think that you're making it up. Yes. And what I say to a lot of my clients, and I say to myself about my own experiences with my own loved ones, which is different, is that when we think we are experiencing our own loved ones, we are likely to think we're making it up. Mm -hmm. So let's say that I experience the presence of my mother, who is in spirit, ten times. And let's say that six of those times were authentic, spiritual experiences, visitations from my mother. Mm-hmm. And let's say that the, the other four were my imagination. The fact that the, I imagined four of them does not discount the six that I didn't ima- imagine. Right. So you're not always going to know. If you, if you want to communicate with your own loved ones, you have to be able to accept that you can't always know. You can't always have proof. Now, there will be times, if you have an experience like I did, when my mother first passed away and I came to her house, I, I couldn't find certain things and I felt the presence of her spirit and I asked her to tell me where those things were and these were things that I never knew where they were and I went right to them.
2: That's pretty
1: I heard cool. By. So that was some proof for me. Mm-hmm. But there are other times that I don't... You know, I don't have any proof. So unfortunately, we're back to the same topic. The best way you're going to get proof <laughs> is is if you do have a reading with someone because and they, if they bring your mother and bring the same kinds of things you've been getting, that'll verify it for you. Right. But if you don't, but that may or may not happen. So the the, the bottom line is if you want to communicate with your own loved ones, the you have to be able to accept some degree of not always being sure what's happening. And the ways that they will most likely communicate with you based on my experience is one, through your dreams. A spiritual visitation dream feels very different than a regular, what I call junk dream, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, where everything is just sort of wildly happening based on what's been happening to you lately. Mm -hmm. Um, a spiritual visitation dream is, is often in color. It's very intense. You feel the essence of that person in a very, very deep way. And when you wake up, some people feel warm all over. Some people feel cold all over. But there is a definite physical reaction to that reading. And I usually say that's a spiritual visitation dream as opposed to a regular dream. The other way that you may... Um, sense your loved one is is when you're awake you might have a waking vision you might suddenly just feel like you've had a glimpse of them it's there and then it's gone or it's there and you can kind of see through it and it's gone and not too many people have those but some people do and then another excellent way for spirit to communicate with us is through smell you're in a room and all of a sudden you smell the fragrance of the perfume your mother used to wear And mm. there's no reason for you to, to smell that. Right. Now, some psychologists will argue with me and say, neurologically, if you're thinking of your mother, this tips off a certain thing, and that could make you, exp- you know, hallucinate that smell. So there is that possibility. And I would believe in all those psychologists if I hadn't had so much evidence yes. yeah. <laughs> that, that we do survive what we, we call death. Mm-hmm. which I now call transition.
0: Mm-hmm. I think with me too, I have interviewed enough people and I've done my own research and I've had enough kind of crazy psychic experiences that there's no other explanation and they're so mind-blowing that it's like, how much do I want to keep up the skepticism? I mean, you know, there's some things I hear that are kind of far out that I kind of raise an eyebrow like, oh yeah, come on, but... You know, I can buy that it's a smell coming through. It could be a loved one. You know, or I had a dream of my dad the other night, Carol, that we were on the bow of a fishing boat. When I looked at my dad, he looked like he was about, I don't know, thirty years old. Uh, you know, dad that like I didn't recognize as an adult. But we were looking out along the water, and there were all these humpback whales jumping and beautiful fish jumping, and the ocean was majestic. And I woke up like, yeah, that, like that was one of those real dreams, you know, and mm-hmm. I just felt just loved and warm. And like I said, I, I'm seeing my father how I've never seen him. And it's like, yeah, so I'm going to trust that that was him.
1: I would, because yeah. of the way you felt. Exactly. Exactly. But I also think it's really good to be skeptical. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's so many, um, you know, I don't want to sound like an old bitty. <laughs> oh, go please do. <laughs> but, but there's so many people out there who think they're mediums and are not, or they're into right. what to me are very wild spiritual adventures. And personally, I, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be skeptical. I'd rather be hard-nosed. And I'd rather feel comfortable with saying, I don't know. A certain percentage of the time, mm-hmm. rather than just you know being gullible or swept up in something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it, but I also
0: think too. It's not a but. It's just I also think too. Once we can really have confidence that life after death is real, it opens up a different way of living. And if oh, it does. If it's possible that you are communicating with my deceased relative. Um, on a medium ability, it opens up, you, you know, we're so much more than just our bodies that we do have these other, in you know, the sixth sense, whatever you may call that. Can we talk now a little bit about um, intuitive guidance, what that I is? I was
1: just saying that's where we're going with <laughs> what you oh, were just saying.
0: Yes.
1: Well, in my own individual journey, as I say, I started with the channeling. Mm-hmm. And I channel an energy which I've come to call my guidance. Okay. And for the first years of my mediumship, I didn't do any channeling. I stopped it for quite a number of years because I wanted to focus only on connecting with the spirits of loved ones, of people who had passed over, and not any mystical um, sources. Mm Mm-hmm in order to work on my mediumship. At a certain point, I realized I could do both and, and know the difference. It's almost, for me, like it's two different rooms I go into. When I prepare for a mediumistic reading, I take one room, and when I do an intuitive guidance reading, I'm in a different room. And I connect in the intuitive guidance reading, unlike the mediumistic reading, I let the client tell me exactly what they want me to tune in on, because guidance can't be proved, and I'm not um, a person who predicts the future. Okay. I feel that we do have free will. If if a prediction comes to me and hits me on the head, I'll always give it to the client, Mm -hmm. but I don't do what I call predictions on demand, because whatever I say, I have a 50-50 percent chance... Of being right. So the people who want to know if so-and-so is going to come back to them or they're going to get married or they're going to always be financially successful and safe, I'm not the right person for them. Right. Because right. I don't know any of that, and I'm not going to tell them, mm-hmm. try to tell them what they want to hear, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know if there is the right person for that. I don't know if that's possible.
1: Because like you well, say, there is oh, free will. Yeah. But at any rate, they'll tell me what they want me to tune in on and I go into this different place, and I do a, a meditation before I get on the phone or meet with the client in person.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And the first thing I ask, what I call my guidance, is tell me about this person, this client. Tell me what their biggest strengths are and what their challenges are, and I write that all down. And then I write down, um, I write down the questions that the client asked me to ask. I can remember one reading in which, before the reading, it's a woman signed up for the reading. She wanted me to ask what would be the perfect work for her. That okay. was one of the questions. So when I wrote down all her qualities, some of the things that came through were beauty, science. Those were two things, uh, good with people, different things like that. And then when I asked Spirit, you know, what should she do? What's the best work for her? What came through to me was that something that uses this woman's eye for beauty, but also gives her a scientific background on what she's doing. I thought, so I wrote that down. The woman arrived at the reading. This was an in person reading. And so as we sat there, I asked Spirit again, and what I heard is that maybe she should do something like be an esthetician. I think that's the right word. That's Mm -hmm. where you work on people's skin. Right. And she said, I can't believe it. She says, I'm just looking into schools for that right now. Interesting. So this for her was a confirmation of what she was thinking about. So many times I find um, I can only speak for myself. You know, I'm not saying that all intuitive guidance is like this. And in fact, When I started using that word about intuitive guidance about my readings, I didn't see anybody else using that word. Everybody was saying psychic, and that wasn't me. It didn't describe me. I used the word intuitive guidance, and now quite a few people are using that word or finding that appeals to them, which is great. Um, But I find that either spirit comes through And simply confirms for the person what they already know which in this case is a great thing because then they feel really good that 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 some medium who doesn't know anything about them came up with exactly what they're thinking about right and then sometimes also some things come in that they hadn't been thinking about some new things as well Mm -hmm. consider this consider that so I think the intuitive guidance can be incredibly helpful to people at a certain point in their life, particularly when they're going through crossroads. But, you know, I want to say to you and to your listeners that if you have that kind of a reading with someone, don't take what is told to you as the absolute truth. You are responsible for your life. You have to think that over, and if it doesn't sound right to you, don't do it. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) But if it's empowering, go for it. If, if it feels right to you, go
1: for it.
0: Carol, do we all have some uh, sort of psychic ability? I'm just looking at the title of your book, Are You Psychic or Making It Up? Because I think, you know, when we start feeling life after death is real. We go on. We're these spiritual beings that are currently housed well, in a body. You would think we'd I have something. Give
1: you my, I can give you my opinion as of today. I like your opinion as of today. But, you know, I can't tell you what I'll think about this five years from now. Good, because we'll talk about that. My opinion as of today is that everybody is able, if they work at it, to feel the presence of their own loved ones. And everybody has the possibility of being intuitive. Okay. You know, where, gee, the phone rang and I just knew it was going to be my friend Betsy or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't think everybody is a gifted psychic or medium now people will disagree with me and of course a lot of teachers say everybody's a psychic and this really fills up workshops doesn't it mm-hmm. Sure does. but i particularly do not want to train people to go out and work as psychics or mediums if they aren't if they're not really gifted that doesn't mean they're a bad person they might be gifted in something else But we have, I think today, too many people thinking they are psychic and mediumistic when they're not. And that's why I really feel that education is so important and being tested and having teachers who will really work with you and accepting it if you are and also accepting it if you're not.
0: Because if you're not, doesn't mean it just means you might have a
1: strength in something else. You, you know? might be a healer. You, maybe you should, I mean, not everybody has to be a psychic or a medium. And to be honest with you, Sandra, the people that I know who are really psychics and mediums felt called to do it over a period of time, or else they had an unbelievable experience. They they weren't. You know, they didn't suddenly say, oh, that sounds interesting. I think I'll study to be a psychic or medium. It's not like studying to be a carpenter. Right. With all due respect to carpenters, I'm sure there's particular gifts. But there's some things that if you work hard at it, you can be assured you'll learn it. It's not true of being a psychic or medium. If you, you could study it for years and not really have it. Or you could be phenomenal. And if you're, if you can't take that risk and if you can't be honest with yourself, if you don't have it, then, then you shouldn't do this because, and, and then you have to also be comfortable with the fact that you may not know for quite some time, because as I said at the beginning of this conversation, there are people that their gifts have come to them very quickly, and other people have worked at it for 10, 20 years, and then all of a sudden they blossomed. Mm-hmm.
0: I think for me, I know that when something repeatedly kind of comes knocking on my door, it's, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll well, that's look at this.
1: The expression that we use in this field, we call it spirit knocking on the door. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. At least they do know that somewhere in you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I just think if people go with their gut instinct. And if this appeals to you, you certainly study it.
1: You know, I mean, it's.
0: Yeah, I, I never in mean, a million years thought I'd be. It.
1: Yeah. Doing but just this. Realize, just realize that, you know, it's not easy. No. It's not a walk, walk on the beach. Mm hmm. So. And the re- responsibility if you do find that you are truly gifted mm-hmm. as a psychic or a medium or both the responsibility is beyond what you can even imagine mm-hmm. yep, I you're get dealing it. with people whose hearts have been broken right many times i mean it's it's a phenomenal responsibility and it's almost hard for us to get all the training that that we need, you know, and how to cope with people and how to cope with ourselves. One of the reasons I wrote Are You Psychic or Making It Up is that I realized that there needed to be a book out there that helped people cope with the experience of being interested in being a psychic or meeting, medium or feeling like you might be one because we are different than a lot of people. We're very highly sensitive, extra sensitive. We don't always behave in the way that people who are not like us behave.
0: Say more about that. What do you mean about being sensitive, if you could?
1: Well, I think that people who are truly psychic or mediumistic are usually empaths, which means they, they feel other people's emotional pain, other people's physical pain. Um, they can be more easily hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just highly sensitive people, and their friends and family are saying to you, "Oh, why? You know, why are you always so sensitive about everything? Get over it."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the fact of the matter is, we are highly sensitive. Sometimes I think we need more rest. We certainly need exercise to get rid of all that stuff we're picking up we need to learn how to take care of ourselves having the gift we have i remember one time when brenda my teacher said to me it was when i was in my first few years and she said carolyn you just don't know how sensitive you're going to become over the years how you're going to change and i remember we were riding we were riding in her car at the time and i thought yeah 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 you know (laughs) I kind of let it flow in, but she was absolutely right. And my husband has had to learn how to live with me, and he married me when I wasn't so sensitive. So I've gone through, you know, a whole transformation. I mean, I was always sensitive, but not this sensitive. I need more time alone. I react to things very quickly sometimes. Um, I'm sensitive to smells in a way like I never anticipated. Interesting. You know, I become very sensitive to things like that. Someone comes to see me for a reading, and if they have on a heavy perfume, I have to turn on the air filter and apologize to them because it makes me swoon. Hmm. I was never like that. I'm sensitive to food beyond what I ever was. People, everything—it's <laughs> kind of an occupational hazard, oh, sure. and yet it's also a wonderful thing.
0: Right, right. You've been at this a while now, and I yeah. know you sent an email that you started a two-year study of mysticism. Yeah. What's that all about? Because I, I, as human beings, I think all of us, we love to continue learning and growing, and that's part of the human game. But here you that's are. Very,
1: well, that's very much a part of my life, because I'm giving out all the time. Right. And so I need to be taking in. If if I am not studying, there's an imbalance in my life. Interesting. I'm being like a teacher or a mentor or a medium to many, many people. So I need somebody who's my teacher. I need somebody who is feeding me. Well, that's good. Very good. So that's one of the reasons I'm doing it. But part of the reason I'm doing it is that I'm terribly curious about, you know, what all the Christian mystics went through, St. Teresa, um, what many poets went through. I'm I'm just starting this so I'm not um I'm not able to really talk about it too much to you intelligently. You know, it's six months from now I'll probably be blabbermouth on the subject. <laughs> but what I know now is why I'm in it, because I sense that my experiences with spirit, particularly the ones I've written about in Cosmic Connection that were life-changing, our mystical experiences. So as I read about the mystics, I say, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I know that. I went through that. So it's a way of me getting some um, appreciation of what I go through as an extra-sensitive person. Now, of course, I have to keep in mind that some of the things I read about the mystics of ancient times, they were in a different culture and they did things i would never do you know that to me seemed crazy in order to feel closer to god um. but uh, but you know keeping all that in mind that it's a different time a different viewpoint in the world i can relate to a lot of what they've been through mm-hmm. i mean when i was in high school sandra people would say to me come up to me and say, you know, I said hello to you in the hall twice today, and you didn't even see me. And I'd say, oh, I'm terribly sorry, because I was someplace else. That was the story of my life. My mother told me that when I was two, I'd be outside playing with kids, and I'd be having a great time, and then all of a sudden I'd go lie down, and I would just close my eyes, and I, she said, you went someplace else for two minutes. And then you got up and went back to playing as if nothing happened. Hmm. Now, what's that all about? You know? Right. So, I think this is the way I
0: came. (laughs) Well, and you're not alone, because I'm sure there's someone listening here who's got a kid that's similar, or they were similar. And instead of shutting off some of these things, how can we help groom them to stay open?
1: Yeah, so I am studying mysticism because I want to discover and understand myself more. Because I feel that a lot of what I experience, we could call mystical. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. I'm not putting myself on a list of the greatest mystics in the world. I don't mean it that way at all. But I just feel that, that I will learn... And I think that it's also going to give me a great deal of information that I can use as I help my students. First I'll help myself, and then ultimately I'll be helping others with this information. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be time for me to study something else. <laughs> so speaking
0: of students, I'm looking at the clock. Time goes by really quickly. One oh my part yeah. of this show I really love is an opportunity, if you're willing, to share with us something that can empower us in our lives right now. And this might not be what you're going to talk about. You might not know yet. But it just keeps resonating with me that there's something about getting in touch with whatever abilities we may or may not have. But there's something uh, available to all of us if we can learn to quiet our mind. Would you say that talking a little bit about meditation or tapping into our own...
1: you should say that because what's coming to my mind, if I have to say one thing quickly to everyone who's listening, Mm -hmm. is simplify your life and make some time for meditation. And if it's too difficult for you to sit and meditate, then do a walking meditation in a safe place, not on the street, please. But, you know, like in in a room of your house, or listen to music until you can get to the point where you can meditate without any anything on playing.
0: And by meditation, I'm going to get bas- basic here, what do you mean?
1: Well, what I mean, I, I follow more of the Buddhist idea, and I'm not trained in this officially, so if I don't say this perfectly, my apologies. It's okay. But um, I sit, and I breathe, and I pay attention to my breath,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and thoughts start to come into my mind, and I don't fight them. I just return to paying attention to my breath. I breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth, and I keep my eyes open, but I don't Stare at anything. I keep sort of a soft gaze. And this gives me a feeling of this experience with meditation, it's the way my world is. The things that are coming into my mind are what's going on. It shows me where I am in the world and what's thinking, and that I return to my breath. I just keep returning to my breath. Now, this is very useful because if I start to get upset or out of kilter during my day, I can do exactly what I did in the meditation. When these thoughts kept interrupting me, I can just return to paying attention to my breath for a few minutes. Mm. And I can center and balance myself. And that's where you have to start. Because if you're going to investigate all of these spiritual gifts that you may have, you have to be balanced. Or it can get you in real trouble. The other thing I would say to people is, if you're in a relationship, do not expect your partner to believe everything that you believe. Why should another person believe what you believe unless they've had the same experiences you've had?
0: I'm laughing only because I've been, my book came out just three years ago about life after death, and the people in my life, uh, first they thought I was nuts. And then they were like, "Okay, I'm I'm buying this. All right. Well, there's been several that oh, I don't believe it anymore.
1: You know, it's just well, and, I don't I don't care whether anyone in my family believes it. Yeah, and and the greater percentage of them don't. And I do think they think I'm a little nuts. And they talk about it with me politely, but I basically don't talk about that with them. Right. You well, know, talk about the family, the news, sure. everything else. I share it with people like you. I don't talk about it. Because they, when I talk about those things with those who don't believe, they, they don't keep the conversation going. There's a sort of a quiet that happens. There's like, oh, and then, <laughs> and, and then oh, nothing. And it's, it's over. You know, the conversation's over. And sometimes I feel frustrated with that. Mm-hmm. But then I think to myself, well, you know, if they don't believe in this, and I'm talking about this, I'm, I'm talking about a very powerful subject. Mm-hmm and they they don 't want to deal with it, and that 's okay, and, and they don't believe it and and you know why should they
0: right well i'm I'm laughing because I was one of those people once, like you couldn't convince me of anything if you and I were to meet and in- I'd be, I, you know, I wouldn't even listen to this show. I'd be like, oh my god! Yeah, but
1: He's this is the Woo-woo kind of thing, Sandra, where we can convince anybody of anything, or should we? No, they need to have their own experience, and if they don't, maybe they weren't meant to. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. all different kinds of people in the world,
0: right? We're all on our journey.
1: I we mean, are. if we were all on this journey, who? What would the world be like? Whoa. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Yes, I don't either. know. But if you are somebody who's interested in either developing or finding out more about yourself, it is a great place to start to learn to quiet your mind. And am I correct, Carol, that having a good sense of meditation and a good practice of that has helped your Oh, Medium yes, it abilities
1: has. and oh, it has, it <laughs> has. And I would invite listeners to, to go to um, either my website, Carolyn.com, or to go to Amazon mm-hmm. and do a search on my name till you come to my book page. All my books have a, a description of what they're like. And you're invited to email me and say, you know, this is my situation, and which books do you think would help me the most? And I'll write back to you. I oh, help people great. choose, you know. Yep. Uh, and I do offer uh, mentoring sessions for people that I can't, you know, be their teacher going forward for years except in a few cases. Right. Um, but I help them figure out what's going on and, and to come up with a plan. So I like to do that. But mm-hmm. ultimately they need to find something local or travel. Right, and just for but I do. Well, I do sometimes work with people two or three times just mm-hmm. to help them figure out, evaluate what's going on, and come up for a plan for their own study.
0: Mm-hmm. For our listener, when you go to we don't die dot com and you click on Carol Lynn, I've got all the links to her Amazon page, her books, how to contact her, her YouTube videos, which are outrageously wonderful and whatever else
1: very good you've really done a wonderful job and I thank you for that because I do I do like to help people figure this out
0: (laughs) I know I'm in the midst of a cold so I have to keep muting every once in a while to cough so I apologize about that I just went away for just a second Uh, it's winter time when we're recording this and I'm in the cold place in Massachusetts. One more cough. So, Carol, why don't you give some closing words while I mute and cough, okay?
1: Okay. Well, I just want to say to everybody listening that um, if you are having spiritual experiences, see these as blessings. And the other advice I would offer is connect with people that see spiritual activity as sacred, not as spooky. We get into trouble, I think, when we start visiting places that are commercial places that are trying to be sensational. Go towards sacred, and you'll be fine. Very good. I'm back. (laughs) You're back. Well, I just want to thank you. This was really wonderful. It flew by. (laughs) Of course. But I I think we talked about a lot of things and I hope it was helpful to listeners.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, selfishly speaking, I put myself in these interviews and I want something for me. And, you know, truthfully, I don't have a great practice of meditation. I am somebody who wants to get into mediumship and I realize that, you know, I'm kind of lazy that, you know, you say I should do this, but uh, I really don't want to. And I get that the level at which we commit to what we say we're up to as I think, where the results will happen.
1: That's right. It takes an incredible, incredible commitment.
0: Yeah. But if you're meant to be doing something, um, don't be surprised if it just keeps knocking at your door. That's uh, right. And, and just trust the process. I mean, we all have different gifts in this lifetime, and, and those things change. I'm going to turn 50 this year, which... I can't even believe how fast time went by, but I'm not the same person as I was in my 20s, my 30s, well, actually, and my 40s. Well, you're at a
1: perfect age for this. Oh,
0: cool. That's good news.
1: I think that because, because I think, you know, that I'm not saying that when you're younger it's not an okay mm-hmm. process, but I think the more maturity that we can have, the better equipped we are for handling the spiritual experiences, and if we ever work with people with this spirituality, we really need the strength and balance to work with people. Right.
0: Yep, and and getting... we don't always have that when we're young. I no, didn't. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I offer a little bit of a challenge just to everybody, and if there is something that's burning in your heart and you want to find out about it, take the leap, go for it, check it out. You know, buy Absolutely. the book, take Check the course. You know, every human being that you look at, I mean, I, I live my life and believe it or not, there's always fear that pops up first before I do anything. It's what are they going to think of me? Am I good enough? You know, that's just part of our human element. And to realize that every human being you're looking at is just another. You, with the same hopes, the same dreams, the same doubts, the same fears. Um, you can approach everybody. We're in this together. Uh, follow your passion. Um, I had just written down a quote that I think I had said. I probably picked it up from somebody else. But it's, there's more to life than meets the eye, and there's more to you than you'll know. You are a human being. You are soul having a human experience as we all are. Um, I do believe that life is an education for our souls. My request is, is look inside your heart, quiet your mind a little, find that thing that, um, you're passionate about and then just go start doing it. How's that sound, Carol? That sounds wonderful. So in closing, Sorry to say goodbye. Um, but this is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host. Our website is we don't And if you haven't read my book yet which is called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death, I have a free gift for you. If you go to wedontdieradio.com and you click on Insider's Club, if you'd like, there is a free download of the PDF file of my book that just gives more information of why I believe we go on, that life after death is real. And, of course, you're welcome to listen to one of the earlier 80 episodes, which I've interviewed some amazing men and women who've got some really great stories of proof of life after death so I thank you for listening um, and I yeah I really appreciate you giving your time today and we'll see you soon